my deal this week is that I marathoned all of the Twilight movies this I cannot weekend. wait to hear see, the rationale see, for this. This is like the 12-hour cinematic equivalent of, oh, this milk smells bad. You want to <laughs> hear smell this. Right? Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is episode number two. I am your host, Anita Sarkeesian, and I am joined by my lovely co-host, Carolyn Pettit. Hello. And Ebony Astor. Hey, people. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love, or alternatively titled, Feminist Killjoys Are Coming for Your Media, depending on your perspective. On today's show, we're going to see what's happening this week in the world of pop culture. We're going to maybe aggressively hate on the Justice League and maybe gush over the good place. And we're going to end with What's Your Deal, which I still think is the worst title ever, where we'll each share something we've been thinking about lately. And for those of you who are lovely, wonderful Drip members, we have a very special bonus segment for you. We're going to dive a little bit more into the Justice League. And Carol came up with a fun little game. Donald Trump or Metal Gear Solid character? I just wanted to start this off with a huge, huge, huge thank you to all of our supporters. We launched our membership program last week with the first episode, and so many of you signed up to be a part of this. Uh, Drip is Kickstarter's new monthly crowdfunding subscription service. Mm -hmm. Our podcast is listener-supported, so if you like what you hear, please consider chipping in. You can visit d.rip slash femfreak, which is the weirdest URL to say, but there you go. d.rip slash femfreak. We also want to thank our podcast host, Simplecast. They are a new hosting service that's been really helpful getting us up and running. So if you're looking for a new podcast host, go check them out at simplecast.com. All right, y'all. Okay. Let's do podcast number two. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> We're once again scattered to the winds. Anita, you're still in, in Sweden this week. Yep. Right? How's the, how's, how, is it still getting dark at like 3 p.m. for sure, you over there? Sure I assume is. it is. Yeah, sure, sure is. It keeps oh. getting darker a little bit earlier every day. Oh, oh, that's the worst. It also means that I'm sleeping in really late. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like late for me at least, right? Because it's yeah, I was so gonna dark. say, late for you yeah. is like what? A smooth 4.15 a.m. <laughs> I don't wake up that early. Uh, yeah, no, it's still really dark. But, you know, I, I learned. So s- cinnamon buns are a big thing here. And as many times as I've oh been to Sweden, nobody has ever taken me to get cinnamon buns. <laughs> and I found a place that has the best ones. And I'm so excited. I will bring some back for you to try. I want to. I don't want to interject right here to say I've been privy to some cinnamon bun chat. From Manina. <laughs> also, it did happen real early in the morning. Um, so, one, I know for a fact none of these cinnamon buns or cardamom buns are going to make it my mm. way. So, whatever, whatever, Anita. But also, well, they aren't now with that attitude. You were never going to send me a cardamom bun. <laughs> Maybe we'll make some. Who's hey, we? Hey, I know this really. I, I know this great place uh, at the mall. It's called Cinnabon. I will take you there for an amazing, <laughs> amazing. What, what's it called cinnamon again? Bun. Cinnabon. 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 Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. 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 Sounds exotic. Yeah. I'm into it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, great. All right, Carol. Want to check us yeah. in on some pop culture this week? Boy, do I. Um, so one of the big stories this week is that Amazon has acquired the rights and is moving forward with plans to create a Lord of the Rings prequel television series. You know, because if the for those of us for whom the like 18 hours of Middle Earth storytelling that Peter Jackson and crew generated with the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit trilogies just isn't enough. Um, they're going to be making more. And I, as a Tolkien fan, um, have a lot of, you know, concerns about this because... Um, so the the article that I read, and I think everything is pure speculation at this point because Amazon hasn't really like like made it clear what they're drawing from or what the story is going to be. But you know the the piece that I read kind of speculated that maybe they're kind of trying to to get in on the kind of Game of Thrones um, uh, market, right? Uh, with uh, but if if Amazon goes that route, it will be such a kind of like betrayal of Tolkien because you know. Um, Game of Thrones, it sure it has dragons and swords and stuff, just you know, like <laughs> like 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 Tolkien does. But 
It's about it's about like political machinations and betrayals, and it's a soap opera. I thought it was about and a ring. Tolkien... They're just no, like no, on Game I'm of talking about. Oh, oh. oh my yeah. gosh! No. And, <laughs> and, and the nerds and are gonna. Tolkien's... They are already furiously I th- typing. I thought we were talking Twitter. about Lord of the Rings. Sorry. All right. No. Sorry. So it, just Tolkien's, ignore me. You know, Tolkien's, you know, Middle Earth uh, saga is really, it's intended to work as like a myth. It's not a soap opera at all. It doesn't have those kinds of like, uh, polit- those backstabbings and things. It is, you know, Tolkien was concerned about a few things like, um, like fostering a, an attitude of, uh, that the natural world is sacred, right? He was kind of anti-industrialization. And so like, that was a big theme of his. Also, the corrupt, like the the idea that power corrupts. That's kind of what the part of what Lord of the Rings is all about. You know, even Fro- Frodo, who's like the purest, uh, you know, person who can possibly bear the ring, ends up corrupted by it before he can can give it up. So, um, I I just I, but, worry that yeah, but that article like was totally speculating, right? The idea that it's going it to be like Game of Thrones was just like one person no, saying one thing. So, that's totally true, but the reason that I guess the reason that I already have these concerns too is because we have these uh, uh, Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War video games, right? Which have like the Tolkien license and everything, but totally are all about. There's such there's such a like twisted betrayal of Tolkien's I- ideas because they're all about like. I mean, the the narrative of those games is kind of like, oh yeah, look, you're kind of bad. The the this power is like corrupting you, but it's meant to be like badass. Like, yeah, I'm gonna dominate these orcs. I'm gonna like, I'm gonna like control it. And and inherently, as a player, like that stuff feels really good. So, it, you, you know, which Tolkien I think would have been mortified because he's he, he I just think it's a very contemporary. It reflects our contemporary values, which Tolkien, in some sense, would have been very opposed to. So I just, I, I just hope that I have no idea what stories they would even draw from or what they would do. But I really hope that if they go forward with the show, it's somehow true to Tolkien's um, themes and his ideals. But I think that that's going to be a hard sell in our kind of, you know, Game of Thrones it's really uh, cute right now because Carolyn timeline. has her fingers crossed at like Carolyn yeah, literally... crossed to be like please <laughs> oh, no, please, there please are don't be bad. Emo- yeah, there are intense emotions yeah. on display here. Carol, I have two words for you: Tom Bombadil. Uh-huh. Huh? Oh huh? yeah, I mean yeah, sure. A whole <laughs> I, I love a whole Tom Bombadil series, right? I yeah. I remember so clearly when um the Lord of the Rings trilogy hit just like the wave of people who were furious that Tom Bombadil wasn't included and we haven't yet heard that this time around but I want to represent for those people for the people who who are like what about what about old toms Uh-huh yeah so, you know, we'll see. Obviously, it, it could be fine. It could be great. But I have I, I'm just very cautious. I'm, I'm very guarded about where this is going. Um, in other news. So uh, people announced their sexiest man alive this past week. And it's some dude I've literally I'd literally never heard of. Wait, before are you the serious? Was made. You never heard yeah. of Sheldon? <laughs> no, is he like a is he like a country singer or yeah he's a country singer yeah. and he's a uh, he's one of the judges on The Voice. Oh, that's yeah okay. I don't watch The Voice <laughs> and then, now. I, really and then I can't, I can't believe I know something. I can't believe it, I know something that Carolyn doesn't know. That's well, yeah, that's because Anita, yeah. you keep up <laughs> with Gwen Stefani's love life so avidly. <laughs> Yeah, that, um, yeah. that you're always um, well aware of who she's currently partnered with. So yeah, Blake Shelton and, is also Gwen Stefani's boo. Wait, right? And, and and yeah, yeah, currently. Whoa! Although That's, the way after yeah. he, after the way he's been Different. getting dragged across social media for uh, for being named people's sexiest person, I wouldn't so, be right. surprised if she moonwalks out of his life so, just to try and so, avoid the blowback. So there's been a lot of like uproar in certain circles about like this is the guy you pick and and to me it's like I'm not going to talk I, I I'm no judge for like his appearance and I don't want to get into that but what's interesting to me is like who's voting on these decisions because because in the whole past 20 years there's excuse me in the whole past 20 years there's only been one man of color mm-hmm. uh chosen as a sexiest man alive um and this guy he's just like okay another like really another white dude like a i, I don't know like 
But isn't isn't just Blake seems... Shelton like the perfect choice for Trump's America? I mean, that's for real. okay. That's exactly for I, real. I, I mean, did not you... want to say it. I, yeah, I didn't want to say it, but that's what I was thinking. Yeah, I mean, just like, like when you think um, about yeah. first of all, who's still buying People magazine? Right? I think it's probably older uh, women readers who are reading it. Yeah. Um, so I think like he's perfectly designed to appeal maybe to that demographic, you know, uh, to people who watch The Voice, the kind of maybe NASCAR country crowd um, who are going to who are going to love it, because I think he does clearly have a bunch of supporters. But also, yeah, we know that like People's Sexiest Man is just an annual kind of like PR grab. You know, it's just who's got something big coming up. But no matter what Blake Shelton has going on. Is it big enough to justify? I mean, this is not sexiest man in America, sexiest man in music, whatever. Like those things would be bad enough, but sexiest man alive, alive, like of everyone in the world. All right, so I think you know, I'm I I was you know we internally shared the articles that were like what why, but also there's a little bit like I, you know, we had I, I. I just feel bad like ripping someone apart for their appearance because they're not hot as hot as the other guy, right? Like, like I think it's a really bizarre choice as well, and I don't think that's what you're doing either. But like, there are all these articles being like, "Are you kidding me? Look at all these other men who are oh. hotter." And like, attractiveness and I- is so subjective that even the concept Absolutely. of having a sexiest man alive is a is ludicrous. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, so I didn't want. I, I, that's why I'm like, yeah, you can consider him extremely attractive, which is obviously like, Jason not, Momoa. But, except now that I've seen the Justice League, uh, I might have to reconsider uh, that. So before, <laughs> so before we move forward, w- w- just one more super quick thing from the world of entertainment. So, do y'all know who the who the one man of color selected in the past twenty years was? I was going to oh, no. say Denzel, but it, that would, did that predate twenty no. years? Is that more than twenty years old? Will Smith. Must be no. Um, okay, so it was, it is, or was The Rock, and The oh. Rock has. I uh. so yesterday, just real quick, a a trailer dropped for an upcoming movie of The Rock, which is called Rampage. Rampage <laughs> was a Rampage was a video game in the eighties where you played as a giant monster destroying cities, and like, like there's no plot to that game whatsoever. So, uh. Well, the only reason this movie is called Rampage is so that people like me who have positive associations with the Rampage brand are like, ooh, I want to go see that movie. So unless we see Peoria, Illinois get destroyed in that movie, it is not a faithful adaptation of the Rampage video game. I would love for that to be the most niche thing we say in this podcast, but I doubt it will be. But mm-hmm. I love that, that uh, Carol, that you were like... This movie is for people like just, me who have a <laughs> yeah, and I I, like, I do the hope that they're like you know that, marketing meetings where they're like yeah, but what about yeah. the what about the like, Carolyn Pettit demographic? What are they clamoring that's, for? Like, that's the only reason to give this movie the Rampage license. Yep. That's all. It yep. could be called anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my god. This is Anita from the future, and we're about to say that there's going to be spoilers in our Justice League conversation, but there really aren't. So don't worry, you can still listen. All right. How about we talk about the Justice League, even though I would Let's love that. Yeah. Can we just, can we, can we just not, like, can we just be like, no, eh, no, it's not even uh, worth uh, our you time. Made me no. pay, you paid, made me pay 15 American dollars to go uh-huh. see this movie. We're going to talk about it. Let's talk about it right <laughs> now. <sighs> okay, before we, before we get into anything having to do with the actual substance of the movie, mm-hmm. I have to say this really quick. I read a review before I went to see the movie, and it mentioned that they had to do a lot of reshoots on the film. You're kidding. And uh, <laughs> no, 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 shocker, shocker. But like unexpected or unplanned reshoots. And during the time that they, you know, were done, Henry Cavill. Uh, is that how you say his name? Grew a mustache. Presumably Y'all, Carol, for this is such role. old news. This is such old news. No, not, yeah, oh, but, so, but no, no, please keep going because this no, but let me my, say, main, because, my main question was so, about Henry Cavill. So, so please go on. So, so because so to, I just have to say that to me, like watching the movie. So they there's so there's shots in the movie where Henry Cavill's mustache has been digitally erased. Yes. Right. So every time. So every time he's on screen, the only thing I'm doing is like scrutinizing his face to be like, is this one of those shots where they like digitally erased okay. his mustache? Like, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for yeah. explaining this yeah. to me because my major. Okay. First of all, 
I know this is going to surprise everyone, but I am not a professional movie reviewer, so I don't have one of those cool like light-up pens. So my notes that I took <laughs> in the film are practically illegible. But the one that is very readable is the one that says, why does Henry Cavill look like Hologram Tupac from Coachella? He just didn't look right. It was some weird, uncanny valley-ass shit. And I was like, I don't know what's happening. Was he actually part of the movie, or did they recreate him from Pixels? It looked weird. Yeah, it sure did. Here's the thing. Here's the here's my question for fucking DC. Why in the hell did you not plan your reshoots and contract that in with your actors before they go on and like make a physical appearance, like changes to their appearance that aren't like planned? I just I think it would have been great if I mean, wait I a assume minute. Do I, do we need to throw in a um the spoiler alert theme song. Like, are we just going to go ahead and, and spoil the shit let's out of just, this movie? Let's just spoil the shit out of this movie. Let's just do it. Okay. Well, <laughs> so <laughs> I was hoping now that I know this, that they could have done something where like when, when soups come back, comes back from the dead, he came back with a mustache. That would have been awesome. Like what kind of other world, <laughs> what kind of afterlife was he living as a riverboat gambler? Yeah, that he came back with a handlebar mustache. Like- They'd have to digitally put on the mustache for some of those shots, right? So, like, half of them would be digitally removed and half of them would be digitally it put back on. It wouldn't have made the movie any more ridiculous <laughs> than it already was. But listen, That's true. I know, I know you did not like the movie, Anita. And uh, before we started recording today, I was saying, you know, I wasn't overwhelmed. I wasn't underwhelmed. I was just whelmed. There were parts that were entertaining enough. But I came into this knowing absolutely nothing about recent DC movies. The last Batman movie I saw was, I think, the first Christian Bale one. So I am wildly unqualified to talk about <laughs> this movie. I had no idea what was going on. Carol, I really wish you would have been there for me. So I could have been like the old lady who's like, who's that? What's going on there? What's his backstory? Do they know each other? Yeah, I'd be whispering. I'd be like, that's Superman. Yeah. It, yeah. It was yeah. it was almost at that level because I was like, I yeah. I just don't care about this team um in a sure. way that like for for all their, you know, um faults and occasional missteps, I do care about the Avengers, like as a team, as a gestalt, right? But that's because I've watched all of those movies. Because I haven't watched the the DC movies. That's... I just this movie itself wasn't enough to get me to care about that team coming together. I don't well, know. But that, like I said, that's on me. That's on me. That's not on the movie. That's on me. But Marvel has actually done work to create that caring, right? Like they've actually built a universe in which <clears throat> those of like that if, even if you don't like even if you didn't read comics growing up, you're still invested in these worlds because you're invested in the film like the film universe and you care about the different characters and they're recurring and all this stuff. I think one of DC's biggest problems is that they uh, are trying to copy Marvel and they can't do it. Like they just are not getting the right teams together to pull this off. And so like they need to do something totally different. They need to stop trying to copy a model that they can't quite get down. Right. I mean, because, yeah, so in this this film kind of tries to also function as like the, or- I mean, not the origin stories, but the introductions of like Cyborg and uh, the Flash in the in the DC Cinematic Universe. So you get these scenes with their fathers, but, you know, where it's it's like these would be like the emotional turning point scenes, like late in the movie, if they had their own kind of standalone origin story movie. But it just kind of jumps right to those points, and it's like, whoa, you're like throwing all this kind of you know, emotional weight at me b- b- without, you know, having developed like these care, these characters at all. And it just felt, it just felt really abrupt to me. It just felt like it was trying to do too much as much as I really liked the flash uh, in some moments. Like I get not understanding brunch, right? I get not understanding human beings. I'm like, <laughs> right, I'm, right. I'm, I'm with you on, on some of that, dude. Totally. Yeah, I thought that I thought The Flash um, was a really great audience insert for the movie. You know, kind of saying the things that the audience would like to say. I thought I thought he was, you know, kind of cute um, as a as a young audience insert. I had a hard time with that with that representation of him because I watched the show and it just felt so dis like dis. 
it would it, to, like it was hard for me to remedy the fact that I had spent all this time with one type of the Flash, and now I'm spending mm-hmm. time with a different like representation of the Flash. And I thought a lot of the jokes just didn't work. Like you know, he was clearly there for like you know the the comedic and whatever. And sometimes it was fine, and sometimes it wasn't. Like you know, it uh, God, I I did not. I clearly hated this movie more than everybody else. The and movie a, has reduced you to just making random sounds. There, yeah, well, so there's a quote from a Vanity Fair review. Richard Lawson just, like, tore this movie apart. And um, one, of the, one of the things that he says in the review, I think, like, really... It, it, uh, words, sorry, really is how I feel about this. He said, it's like having a little kid stutteringly recap a movie for you. And then this happened. And then this happened. Oh, wait, but also this happened instead of watching an actual movie. Like, that's his quote. And I was mm-hmm. like, yes, yeah. I walked out of the theater going, I need to think of a cohesive way to talk about this film. But it's a film that has no cohesion. Like, there's nothing mm-hmm. holding right. it together. It is so all over the yeah. place. And it doesn't have any heart. It doesn't have any life to it. I don't care about any of these characters, except in, like, teeny tiny little bits. Okay, so, you know, I think the one thing that brought a little heart to the film for me was Gal Gadot. Like, I think that she is oh, so Lord. good at Lord. Look, at looking... Okay, I know. But I think that she is so good at looking, at just looking earnest and looking like noble and everything. But that's that whenever all she the does. camera like showed. That's all she does. Right. It's but face. It's... She makes one yeah. facial expression and yeah. one like yes. action pose the whole movie. Right. But, but it, you know, for me, like, she's just, to me, she is beautiful in a way that, like, like, you as and a, everybody like a classic else. golden age of hot. Ho- like a golden age of Hollywood, but I mean beautiful in like a golden age of Hollywood kind of way where she just has a screen presence and she like radiates on the screen. And so it like I, I'm, she's definitely not a great actor, but her screen presence has a, a quality to it that communicates something in and of itself. Um, Look, that's if I had to see yeah. her ass one more goddamn time, oh yeah, I'm telling you. Yeah. Okay, oh, yeah. there was a shot, there was an upskirt shot that was clearly blacked out because you could see straight up her skirt. And then yeah. I'm telling you, not only did they show shots of her ass in leather pants over and over again, but I could see her ass cheeks out of the bottom of her skirt. And like this happened again and again and again. And I was thinking this did not happen in the Wonder Woman movie. So either it's a different costume or it's very clearly that this is a Zack Snyder directed film and he's doing the shit he does where he sexualizes women in these like camera angles and like all of these ways that you yeah and it's, it's it's so clearly deliberate because there will be shots that are composed such that you know we're we're coming up uh from the back on you know Wonder Woman the Flash um Batman whatever and hers is the only ass that gets lovingly presented like you know mid screen like there are you know the 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 male asses get no screen time justice for male asses yeah uh you see batman's ass for <laughs> like two seconds butt coverings yeah yeah exactly. exactly um i thought i thought that um so okay i gotta quickly cyborg this was my first introduction to cyborg and he was the only person that i even gave a modicum of a shit about and that was just barely i thought that like there's some interesting stuff with him uh i i'm curious to see how they develop him throughout the universe but also like this is grading on a huge curve here right like the the only thing that i interesting too yeah, like I, I think that his power is interesting and like his, who he is and the way he played it was really interesting. The only moment that I felt any emotion whatsoever in this whole film other than rage was when Amy Adams was talking to Superman's mom. It, the, the, she is like, it's so hard for me to watch these amazing actors take these bullshit roles and like act yeah. their hearts out because they're they're the yeah. kind of like she's the kind of actor that can take crappy material and like do something with it. Uh, yeah, but like everyone else the movie is just does like, not deserve her it totally yeah. doesn't the movie does not deserve amy um, adams also yeah. okay i the the public doesn't know this but i like think justin momoa is one of the hottest people in the entire world and i they was like know okay that's right. they do they know it now which is fine because i don't really talk about that stuff because i don't like i you know i don't think that that's yeah. relevant to because you don't want no static from lisa bonet is why you don't talk well, about it I, 
I also think they're the hottest couple in the whole world. So, you know, whatever. But um, I was like, okay, well, at least, like, I enjoy, you know, I enjoy him in general. Like, maybe Aquaman will bring something to this. Holy crap, was I wrong. Like, what? What, what were they doing with his character? That shot where he takes he takes the bottle of, like, gin or whatever. Bottle? And then the, the, like, white, not white stripes, but, like, the, the Jack White music comes up. And then he goes into the water. And he's, like, playing this sort of macho, posturing, brooding asshole. Loved it. Loved it. Oh my god, I hated it. I thought it was so. I wanted so, so much more Aquaman, and I can't wait for the Aquaman movie to come out. It was so inconsistent. The, the one amusing thing that uh, they did with that was, you know, later he starts talking in this really uncharacteristic way, spilling his heart out, and you're like, oh my god, Aquaman, you're having this real moment, and then the gag is, oh, Wonder Woman got him with the lasso, right. and okay. he's. Like, I don't think that worked. <laughs> like, I get that people laughed at really? it, but I was like, oh my god, what the fuck bullshit are they doing now? This is so stupid, and he this monologue is really dumb, and like what, and like it's supposed to be emotional, but it's not, and like I just didn't, I didn't think it worked at all. It, it worked Ugh. for me. I mean, you know, as part of the Ugh. trope of like Man. the reluctant superhero, the someone who has to be kind of like, you know, the the rugged individualist who kind of has to be dragged, you know, kicking and screaming into the the team dynamic. It worked for me. You know, I loved that his name was Arthur. Like just every time they called him <laughs> Arthur, it just it made me laugh so hard. I also really true. enjoyed when when Ben Affleck, when Bruce Wayne first goes to. um that Scandinavian fishing village, wherever that is. I'm not sure if we ever mentioned where it was. See, I was going to say that, you know, well, I didn't know if it was actually Iceland, um, you know, presented that way. I didn't know that. But But I watched a theater where there were... Well, I watched a theater that had Swedish subtitles, so anything that wasn't in English, I couldn't understand because... Uh It was like so. I, that's how I found out it was Icelandic because I was like, well, the, I can't the only reason I asked is because I recognize the main guy that Bruce Wayne talks to as uh, the main character from the movie Jar City, which is an amazing example of Scandi noir. So it's a this is a callback to last week's episode about my obsession with Scandinavian crime drama. That's all I wanted to say. Except yeah. no, it's not all I wanted to say because <laughs> Bruce Wayne comes in to that fishing village and it's a sea of white people. Okay, a sea of white people. And it's and a fishing like, village that where they can't get their own fish? Right. But he says, uh, I'm looking for um, this guy. He's a little bit different. He's from it. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he's really strong, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, do you not see the seven foot tall mixed race dude to your left? How do you not know that that's the superhero? Like, dude, come on. He's not yeah. like... You know, Jason Momoa is going incognito in an Icelandic fishing village. Oh, totally. And like, okay, can we at least agree that Ben Affleck is really boring just in yeah. general? No. Like just what? Oh, in general. <laughs> like he was just as Batman is just he does brings nothing to the role. It is so uninteresting. I think that's what makes his Batman interesting is that he's kind of this older, weary, world-weary Batman. I just think it's, you know, he's already like at the point where he needs to retire, right? Yeah. Like uh, yeah. he, and he kind of he kind of knows it. Yeah. All um, right. The one okay, the one thing that I there was a little easter egg in there. I don't know if anyone caught it, but at the beginning there's a newspaper that says, "Did they return to their planets?" and it was oh, Batman, yeah. Bowie and Prince. And I was I like, almost got up and Aw. walked out of the theater. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I love this or hate this. Like, I was really torn about that. I felt a little weird about it. But, you know. You know where I think, you know where I bet Prince is right now? Where? In the real good place. In the real good place. You know wow. what? If, Not they the give, one that we... if they give podcast awards for segues, Carol, uh-huh. I think you just, uh-huh. you just nailed it. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, oh yeah. Let's... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so The Good Place, um, is a show that we all genuinely like. I was, you know, I was going through a bit of a rough time lately, and man, did watching that show lift my spirits. It really was just, like, this feel-good thing, Mm -hmm. um, and I was, like, sad when I ran out of episodes. Um, yeah. Uh, one thing I really (laughs) love about this show is, um, I feel like the timeliness of it is so valuable right now. Like in a, in a world, in a immensely chaotic world where every day we're learning about something absolutely dreadfully horrible. Uh, the good place is this shining beacon of a show that is just whimsical and funny and real. And like, it's not, it's not apolitical. But it's also not political. And I really love that. Like, there is this, there is, 
there's a sense of like you can sort of just relax into this show and really enjoy yourself, but it doesn't. It's not like it doesn't comment on things subtly and and by its very yeah. existence in the way that the the characters who was cast, uh, how they treat the characters, all of that is so so valuable. Yeah, I mean, it's a show that I mean, it, obviously, ethics are literally a a topic, a a main subject matter within the show, right? Because uh, the the characters are all kind of trying to learn how to be better people, and so you have uh, Chidi, who was like a ethics professor in life, actually teaching these classes where they get into all these ethical principles and you know the show treats them in a really funny and amusing way but at the same time it is actually in some ways concerned with what does it mean to live a good life to be a good person like how how do we as people do that right spoiler alert Spoiler alert. Darth Vader's Luke's father. Yeah, so this season, in the second season, they've uh, brought up what I think is is kind of one of the major ethical like thought experiments, which I just wanted to chat about with, with the two of you real quick, um, which is the trolley problem. Yeah. Right? The trolley problem being this, like, this sort of thought experiment of you're in a train, you're going down the track, and the train is on course to like hit you know, five people, um, if you don't do anything, you can pull a lever and the, the train will go down another track where it will kill one person, but you'll save the lives of the other five people. What do you do? Right. Um, and, and I, I find this actually like surprisingly difficult. I yeah. find it a really difficult thing to deal with. Um, you know, um, like, I think there's so many things that can really complicate that. Um, there's a, a game I really liked last year called Life is Strange, which basically at the end makes you make a similar choice. You can either save your friend who you've built this really close relationship with throughout the whole game, or you can save all these people in the town where you live. You know, either a bunch of people will die and your friend lives or your friend dies and a bunch of people live. I did not even hesitate. I chose to save my friend and let all these other people die because I prioritize this one individual over everybody else. Um, so, which, you know, is, does that make me a bad person? I, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> I mean, that's part um, of I, why yeah, it's I, an ethical dilemma, right? Like, right, that is, right. That's the Ex- tension. Yeah. Um, and the scene yeah. in that episode where they play it out. I, I was oh, like, yeah. Over, yeah. Yeah. Shit. And he just, poor Cheaty just gets splashed with blood again and again. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Well, so Chidi's, the, the um, cast is amazing on that show. And, you know, Anita, you have started to talk about that, but just the overall casting for that show, first of all, they play off each other so well. The chemistry is just fantastic among any like configuration. There's no weak link. Uh, on the show, although I definitely have my favorite, which probably actually changes week to week. Um, but just the way that naturally people of color are included in the show, that it's not an issue that, yes, of course, when we're talking <laughs> about like the afterlife, you know, it's not going to be primarily white. You know, that just like it, without even having to, to mention it, just people exist from all over. I love that. Yeah, I, I just yeah. I love it. It's so refreshing and like it's so naturally done and incorporated into this world. And I love that they don't like, you know, they don't make their names like anglified and make them yep. easier to understand. Right. Exactly. Like, uh, it's it's just it is it is a sort of universal space to some to some degree, like within the limits mm-hmm. of like an American TV show. Right. Um, yeah. I think that Janet, played by Darcy Carden, is phenomenal. She's amazing. She's fantastic. Oh. Yep. Yeah. She's so Janet so great. And I mean, Michael, she, yeah, are yeah. Just, they every Dude. every single week. Ted Dan. I I mean, I just I had no real opinion about Ted Danson. Yeah, uh, before exactly. this show. In fact, if I had any thought about him, it was kind of lingering suspicion based upon that you know thirty year old blackface episode with Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, but he's completely redeemed himself in my eyes, and maybe that's unjustified. I don't know, but I love love Michael. Yeah, I do too. And I oh, I feel like one of the things is that they treat women as human beings in this space that are complex and interesting and messy and garbage. And like, there's just so much going on. So I think Kristen Bell's character is really refreshing because she's kind of 
a piece of shit and she's not yeah it's not it's not gendered in any way like her yeah. just being a crappy lady has nothing to do with her being a woman and that right. is so rare i think in, in a lot of ways yeah and i love how this show wrestles with um this entirely false notion that you know you can be a good person like there's some you know kind of category of goodness that you can occupy that's independent of the way you behave, you know, and your likability. So the the fact that, you know, these are all likable people that we all enjoy spending time with them, but that nevertheless, they have to wrestle with the fact that their actions in life have had consequences. It doesn't matter, you know, whether we want to get a beer with, you know, with the character or whether we think someone is funny or not. The fact that they didn't end up in the good place and they had to, like, they had to wrestle with that and they have to try and negotiate like what it means to actually be a good person is really refreshing for me. For for me, the biggest laugh in season two probably was when, uh, so I love Jason Mendoza. He's so probably good. for me the, he's just so good. I, I, don't, I don't know the actor's name, but the character, because he's so good at playing not bright, right? But he's hilarious. Yes. And there's a moment, and there's a moment where, where he's the one who figures out that they're not in that they're not in the good place, right? And Mike and Michael is like, "Oh man, Jason figured it out this time. <laughs> this that 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 hurts. This is a real low point." You know, like that was just like it was oh god, it was hilarious. That that yeah. actor Manny Jacinto, so so good. When he I want to say it might have been a couple of episodes back where he's talking to <laughs> Oh my god, he's talking about having gone to Leonard Skinner High School in North Jacksonville. Oh my god. I lost yes! my mind. Yes! I lost yes. my mind. All right. So we uh we jumped in so quickly to this, but I just kind of wanted to to say like so the show um it is set up so that you like w- the reason I kind of want to explain it is so that people can have a sense of what the show is if they haven't seen it, because it starts in season one where these people go to the good place, which is ideally like heaven, and everybody else goes to the bad place. And the bad place is this horrible, horrible place that you keep hearing about, right? Um, there's a huge uh, cliffhanger that happens at the end of season one and it completely changes what happens in season two. And I am so, it's so refreshing that a show can do that. Cause like, what if they didn't get renewed for a second season? Then we just, right. it would have been nothing, but it, it seamlessly transitioned so well into a completely different direction. And I'm just, I'm so impressed with the writing team on this show that they can do that. Well, and part of the credit also should go to Ted Danson again, right? Because the slow realization that Michael is not, in fact, a good place architect, but is, in fact, a demon bad place architect in the, like evil, maniacal delight that slowly starts to light up his face is mm-hmm. a wonder yeah. to see. You know, he that, just like, he plays that moment subtle. so well. That subtle devilish quality underneath the veneer of being like this really kind uh, guy is so, is so great. And yeah, to to credit the writers too, one thing I love about this show is that um, it's got so many jokes packed even into just the environment and the background, right? There are times where watching on Netflix, I would pause the frame so that I could read things in on the screen because it'll be like you know michael will be introducing the good place and our you know point system determined that you got here and on the screen behind him it's showing all these things that earn you points or cost you points and some of them are like you know ridiculous like you know using i don't know using someone else's toothbrush without telling them like minus (laughs) ten thousand points or whatever you know so i had to just i had to just stop and and eat all that up because it's just so well crafted with all those details one of the ones that i took a note of that i really liked was uh never discuss veganism unprompted is a list of things (laughs) that give you points (laughs) yes yes it's really and and the conversation about like uh, we are spoiling the fuck out of the show but the conversation about Mm -hmm. um uh, the uh, frozen yogurt and why they chose frozen yogurt. Right. Oh right. my God. Good. It's so good. I highly, like, highly recommend yeah. people watch this show. It's, I can't say uh, yes. enough good stuff Agreed. about it. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Hey, Ebony. Hey, Anita. What's your deal this week? 
Okay, my deal this week is some, as you know, Anita, I consider it my remit to keep you updated on the state of the cultural conversation uh, about black women's hair. <laughs> so mm-hmm. this week, mm-hmm. what's yep. my deal? Oh, by the way, I want to uh, let folks know that we've heard from literal ones of you to say that what's your deal is in fact a great title. <laughs> yes, for this. I only I, saw one person say that. So right, but, it's still but, subject but to the, change. What about this? What about the silent majority? Is what I propose. I can't to you. hear them. Also, <laughs> how about this? Em. How about this, Anita? What's in the box? How's that for it? But you have to say it like Brad Pitt in Seven. Okay, let's about that as so a not go there. And I thought you were doing a reference to the Justice League with that one because they were like, the boxes. The mother boxes? boxes? It's not, if, it, the power isn't in the box. The power is the box. <laughs> if so, listen, if someone, <laughs> if someone could hit me up on Twitter and explain in three sentences or less what the fuck was going on with those no one, mother boxes, no one cares. I will, no one I will cares. PayPal you um, as many Bitcoins as I have. It didn't which matter. Is it right. Didn't, All right. So it didn't matter. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't. Okay. So what's my deal this week? There is this hilarious new uh, game called Herna that's been blown up social media. Well, the Black Twitter party social media that I engage with, and it's essentially a game whereby you play as a black woman who's trying to prevent white women from touching your hair. If you are a black <laughs> woman, you know this struggle. You know this struggle, and so it's this wonderful game by uh, I think the designer's name is Momo Pixel. Uh, you can check it out at Hair Nah, so H A I R N A H dot com, and it is fantastic. So you you choose what your character looks like, um, and then on route like she's the the trouble is she's trying to travel somewhere without having these people get all up in her hair and you just have to like block block the shit out of these random white women's hands that come try and get all up in your stuff and they say stuff like "Ooh, is that really attached can i just touch it it looks so fluffy is it real it's hilarious it's hilarious <laughs> oh God, that's amazing. yeah so you got it you gotta try it i'm obsessed with this yeah. game hair nah that is amazing Yep. That's so good. That's so needed, too, right? For oh, real. All right. For real. Mm, Carolyn, what's your deal this week? Yo. Well, you know, so recently uh, this thing happened where, uh, so the LA Times reported on Disney's or Disneyland's like business practices in Anaheim, and it was not a flattering report. And Disney responded to this by playing some really kind of unethical, messed up hardball and saying, okay, if you're going to do these kinds of news reports on us, LA Times movie critics don't get into Disney screenings or like all these screenings of Disney-owned studios. And what happened then, which was pretty awesome, is all these other uh, outlets, news critics, you know, film critics and uh, media outlets stood in solidarity with the L.A. Times and were like, you, you know, you can't do that. We're all going to not review your films then. And that means, you know, let no eligibility for these awards and et cetera, et cetera. And um, and of course, uh, Disney like back down and um uh, and and now L.A. Times film critics can go to Disney screenings again. And it just made me think about how. Um, you know, in the world of gaming journalism, there are, you know, it, it's not unheard of for studios to, like, blacklist a website if the website does, like, a negative review of one of their games or does a report that kind of shines light on, on uh, like, uh, troubling labor practices or whatever. And when that happens, like, there's no collective response whatsoever, right? It's like, well, you know, you're you're on your own. We're going to keep... Uh, you know, hitting embargo with our with the games that Bethesda is still sending us. And to me, like that is legitimately, you know, again, to use the tired phrase, an issue of ethics in game journalism. <laughs> right. Uh, and and so, you know, and yet there's like never been like an uproar about that kind of thing. And so just to, to be reminded of like, oh, this is what an ethical kind of um you know, a group of journalists who at least on some level are concerned with, like, serving the, the you know, the needs of the people they write for. Uh, I guess, like, um, it just was a reminder and a, and a little frustrating that, w- that we don't see that in gaming journalism. So yeah, totally. that's kind of my was, deal. I was also thinking around all of that, because I 100% agree with you, too. I was thinking about the differences between how, like, 
publishers and studios uh, are, you know, that that are like, hey, we're not going to give early code to review sites anymore, but they throw codes out to YouTubers and and right. streamers and all of that. Yeah. And so, like, I don't I'm wondering, like, there's a bit of a difference there in this space where the pressure put on games uh, studios, maybe even if there was pressure, wouldn't be quite as strong as uh, as something like a, a film review, because there isn't as big of a film reviewing right. culture thing that that sort of grassroots that started up on on YouTube. Uh, and I wonder how like that plays into the space and determination of like these PR companies and the choices that they're making. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been, you know, I, I think a big shift in the, the last like five years or so with these YouTube, you know, quote unquote influencers and stuff um, be, becoming people that a lot of people go to for impressions or, you know, uh, or advice about like which games to buy and whatnot and um and so yeah like definitely there has there was a sense um among some people who had been in gaming journalism a lot longer than i had who had been in that space since like the mid or late 90s that um that gaming companies really did did see sites big gaming sites as kind of an extension of PR, right? That was like the relationship. We let you in, give you access to do previews. You know, we kind of expect uh, you to give our games, you know, good reviews. And if the sites kind of don't meet that, then um, then that that's viewed as a kind of, again, a kind of like betrayal. And I, I, I don't know how much that, that has changed, but the relationship between like media and gaming publishers is not what it should be. All right. My deal this week is that I marathoned all of the Twilight movies. This I cannot weekend. wait to hear see, the rationale. See for now, this. I I so, did so not AMA. realize that you were such a big Twilight <laughs> fan. <laughs> I why did I why did I do that? Why? That's our question why? for you, Anita. That's the question on all of our minds. I was staying with a friend, and she said, "Hey, do you want to watch all a the good Twilight friend? movies?" A good friend. Well, not, I not think anymore. you need to reassess. <laughs> right. <laughs> This is like, this is like the twelve-hour cinematic equivalent of oh, this milk smells bad. You want to hear smell this, <laughs> right? Yes, that is a very astute analogy. Uh, yeah, she said, "Do you want to watch it?" And I said, "Sure." So that's how that happened. And then literally every second of the movies, we, uh, me, I, well, both of us, but I was like, "Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Wow, this is terrifying. Why are we doing this?" Okay, so. Uh, here's the thing. And part of the reason why I agreed was, um, so Feminist Frequency started in 2009 and this was a part around the time, like right before this, when Twilight was a really, really big thing. And when I first started Feminist Frequency, I was like, I need to watch and read and do everything that everyone is talking about and be up on everything. Uh, and so I read all the Twilight books and I watched the first two movies, uh, and they're fucking horrifying. And actually the very first Feminist Frequency episode that was ever made was about Twilight and the reason that our initial tagline was called conversations with pop culture was because I made a video to Bella about abusive predatory stalking behavior mm. that never got released so y'all have no idea what I'm talking about because you've never seen it because it was bonus so content. bad bonus content oh my god it was so bad anyways um, but I was really curious about the last two movie. R- really, sorry, I was not really curious, but I was curious enough to say yes to this ridiculous endeavor. Anita, just own um, it. It's okay. It is. So there's so, there's a couple of things. As I was one, they're terrible. They're just terrible films. They're boring as fuck. Like when you're not raging in anger at how like abusive these dudes are and how stupid she is, you're just like, oh my god, this is boring. And even the actors like eventually were just like, we don't want to do this anymore. Like this is the worst thing ever. But here's the thing: is rewatching it like almost a decade later, um. It was such a huge cultural phenomenon. Like it was so massive and I'm it's it is utterly terrifying at how massive it was. Like the the messages in it were just so atrociously awful. Like just in every way, right? You have this guy who has no life of his own. He's just super predatory and stalking and he's obsessed with her. And then you have this other guy who's younger uh by a hundred years and He's like he's such a racial stereotype in that he's like from an indigenous tribe and or like you know indigenous community and he uh, they turn into wolves and they're hot headed like it was just all stereotype upon stereotype and so you have these dudes fighting over this woman who like is just supposed to be this Mary Sue right like every okay whatever everyone knows this I don't need to explain the Twilight thing again but it was 
Yeah. I have a question because you you read the books and you saw the movies. And I know this is an old question, but you know, I was so out of the age range um of these books. Um actually I didn't say age range because they they really crossed age boundaries. Yeah, but anyways, they, I, it, yeah, they did. I wasn't I wasn't in the audience for it. Anyways, do they ever explain why his name is Edward, right? Robert yep. Pattinson's character. Do they ever explain why he chooses to stay in high school? Because oh, they do it so that they can like, this live is a somewhere seri- for four years, and but so then they move every four years so that he can keep. Yeah, like, they, they well they they moved they move every time. I can't believe I'm explaining the fucking lore of Twilight. They move every time that they can't. Uh, they move every time that it gets too weird that they're still the same age, theoretically. Right, but my question is, why does he actually? I don't attend high school. I don't fucking but, know. But is it that a question? No, don't don't Consi- don't logic this shit, Ebony. But okay, I, this, I want to say this, this is a real like I don't understand be- why he would go to school. It's because they're a. I think the idea is that well, they're Mormons. I don't know. Like they're, <laughs> they're like they're what? supposed to be a family, <laughs> right? I get it, but Stephanie my point Meyer- is like. It, it, my my point is that like even from the beginning, Robert Pattinson looked like he was at least eighteen, right? And I think he was in his early twenties when these first started. So I'm saying like he volunteered to keep going to school. He didn't need to keep going to school. He I mean, wanted to keep even, being in high school. Uh, I don't get it. I don't, I, I, I don't know. This is the le- le- like the le- the least of the questions. That it was. Need to be I asked won't say it's my only but stumbling block. The but one thing- it was a. The last thing I want to say about this, though, is part of part of my morbid curiosity was because she gets pregnant uh, and gets turned into a vampire. And I wanted to see how they with dealt Renesme. with that. And with Renesmee, with just the dumbest fucking name ever, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, but the the scenes in which like the way they play that out in the film is so god awful terrifying. Like they CGI. So Kristen Stewart is tiny. She is a tiny mm-hmm. human. Like she's super, super thin. And they because it's like this demon spawn inside of her sucking the morsels out of her fucking being or whatever. She Good uh, Lord. they see they CGI her to to be like as if she weighs like 40 pounds. It's so disgusting. And then when it's like when she's being when she's going into labor and like watching the baby like rip itself out and then them all rip the baby out of her. It just it is absolutely it is so terrifying. And then okay, so so at the end of at the, at the end of the third movie, you realize that they have to turn her into a vampire for her to survive and then the beginning of the fourth movie you see that she's a vampire. And so at the beginning of the fourth movie she literally says, "I was born to be a vampire." Like she, she's so natural at it. Let her, and I was like, let, let her live Lord. her truth. Anyways, that's I all I'm going to say about that. I can't believe I wasted my life. I can't believe we bullshit. don't have a side podcast about you um, telling me that my questions about Twilight are dumb, but I keep peppering <laughs> you with them because I do have a lot of questions, and I can tell you, I'm never ever going to read those books or watch the movies. So you're I my, would, you're my source of information. You should definitely not do that. But this is our show, y'all. Uh, thank you for joining us. You can catch us back here every single Wednesday. Uh, I want to thank our amazing, wonderful Drip backers. Again, you are so, so, so great. Drip is Kickstarter's brand new subscription-based crowdfunding platform. We are listener-supported, and every dollar you contribute goes directly to producing this podcast. So by pitching in, you are joining our growing Feminist Frequency community, and we want you to be a part of this. Uh, We've got some great rewards for you as well, so please head over to d.rip slash femfreak and pitch in whatever you can. If you like our show, we have a small favor to ask you, or I guess another favor to ask you, because that was kind of a favor too, right? Uh, Wherever you are listening to this, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Google Play, please leave us a little review. It really helps us spread the word about the show and, you know, actually tell your friends maybe too. They might like this as well. You can check out all of our work, our other podcasts, our videos, and everything at FeministFrequency.com. And you can find each of us on Twitter. I am at Anita Sarkeesian. I'm at Carolyn Michelle. I'm at POTUS44. <laughs> yeah, good, good, good. Or you can find her at Ebony Astor because she loves being added at. I do love being added at, but just know that no matter what corrections, questions, you know, uh, interesting things you want to tell me, I take none of it on board. None of it. All right. Uh, our producers are Max Jacobs and Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. And we will see you all next week. Bye. Bye, all. Bye. Bye.